Chapter twenty six of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The King of Siam and His Government Buddhism. It was not long ago that all the people of Siam were the slaves of the king. They had to work a part of the year for him without pay, and he could command any woman or girl to serve in his palaces. He had power of life and death over his subjects, and when they came into his presence, they crawled upon their hands and knees, bumping their heads on the ground to show their subjection. These customs are now done away with, and Siam is fast becoming one of the progressive nations of Asia. The king long ago began to rule by means of a cabinet, made up chiefly of his nearest relatives, and he is also a council of forty members who make the laws of the kingdom. He is still an absolute ruler, but every year the people are being granted more part in the government, and in time they may rule themselves. The country is divided into eighteen provinces, each under a governor appointed by the king. Every province has its own courts and schools, and at Bangkok is a supreme court and other government institutions. The chief schools are there, including seminaries for girls and colleges of various kinds. It is in Bangkok that the king lives. His palaces are on the banks of the Minam. They cover many acres and are surrounded by walls several miles long. The king dwells inside the walls with his wives, and the buildings devoted to the women are never entered by any other man. They are under the charge of the queen, who by law is the king's half-sister, and must be his chief wife, although he may have several hundred other secondary wives. All the ladies of the palace have short hair, and they are usually clad in the ordinary Siamese dress, to which they may add a silk jacket and scarf. But we are told that we can visit some of the palaces. We pass the soldiers who guard the gates and go up a wide drive lined with trees and flowers to an immense building of brick and stone covered with stucco. It is painted white, and under the bright rays of the Siamese sun, it appears to be marble. It has several stories, and wide marble stairways lead up to a great front door. The stairways are guarded on each side at the bottom by elephants of iron plated with gold. We walk between these elephants, pass up the steps, and soon find ourselves in the state reception room, one of the most splendid rooms of the world. Its walls are frescoed with gold. Its ceiling is of pieces of glass of all colors, which, with the light shining through them, look almost like jewels. At the back of the room is the king's throne, with the state umbrellas decorated with silver and gold standing beside it. These umbrellas are held over his majesty when he receives his subjects. All around, placed against the wall and half filling the room, are trees and bushes of the precious metals. Their leaves are of solid gold and silver, and the trunks are of wood or iron plated with these metals. The workmanship is as beautiful as that of the most skillful jewelers of Europe. These trees are among the offerings made every year to the king by his officials and the rulers of his tributary provinces. Leaving the palace, we call upon the cabinet ministers. They tell us Siam is rapidly improving in civilization and wealth. The king is introducing railroads and telegraphs. He has established post offices everywhere 
and we can send letters home for five cents. The Minister of Agriculture says that the chief crop of Siam is rice. It is the national food as well as the principal article of export. The money received every year from that sent abroad now amounts to almost $30 million, and new rice lands are being brought under irrigation. Later on, we visit the rice mills, of which there are many in Bangkok. They are operated by steam and are equipped with modern machinery. One of our most interesting excursions is to the palace stables to see the white elephants. Siam is called the land of the white elephant. There is a picture of an elephant on the national flag, and it is also stamped on the coins. When the king and princes ride out in state, it is upon elephants, and the people seem to honor the elephants quite as much as the king. The reason for this we find in Buddhism, which is the religion of the Siamese. They believe that the souls of men at their deaths enter the bodies of animals, and that every animal has the soul of some person in it. Moreover, the souls of the good go into white animals, and those of kings, saints, and heroes are supposed to be born again as white elephants. These animals are therefore royal beasts and are worshipped as containing the spirits of great men. The Siamese have always treated them with honor, and until some years ago they gave every white elephant a special attendant. They covered his skin with velvet cloths and bound his ivory tusks with golden bands. From time to time, shows and concerts were given in honor of such animals and golden chains were hung around their necks. We have heard many such stories and are all agog to see the white elephants. What do we find? Nothing but wild-eyed, scraggy-looking beasts with long tusks and skins not much whiter than those of the elephants we see in the circus. The only parts really white are the long flapping ears, the remainder of the body being ash-colored in spots. Later on, we go to the museum and ask the scientists where the white elephants come from. They tell us there is no such thing as a healthy white elephant, and that these beasts are really sick elephants, their whiteness being caused by a disease of the skin, and not by the spirit of any great hero, as the common people suppose. As we look at the elephants, we doubt whether His Majesty himself now believes that they have royal blood. The animals are kept in dirty stables, chained by their feet to rough wooden posts, and cared for by men who evidently hold them in little respect. As we watch the huge beasts, the chief keeper holds his hand out to us for a present. We give him a few coins, and he thereupon makes one of the royal white elephants kneel down and salute us by raising its trunk. It makes us feel grand. We go from the elephant stables to the temples to learn more about the Buddhist religion, of which we see much in our tour through this part of the world. Buddhism was founded by a prince named Siddhartha, who was born in northern India in the 6th century before Christ and was brought up in luxury and splendor. It was not until he reached manhood and came forth from his palaces that he knew of the poverty, trouble, and evil which existed in the world. He was then overcome with sorrow by the woes and wants of mankind, and decided to go forth and learn how to relieve them. He started out as a beggar and spent his life in the search. 
After a time he thought he had discovered the way and then went about preaching it. He called himself Buddha, which means the enlightened. The religion he taught many considered the true one, and in time it came to be called the Buddhist religion. It has lasted in one shape or other from then on throughout the ages until now, and it is still believed by millions of people. We have seen Buddhists in Japan, Korea, and China. There are a large number in Java and Malaysia, and a great many in Burma and India. The religion has changed greatly since it was first taught, and it now contains many strange beliefs. In most places, it is but little better than a worship of idols carried on with the aid of lazy, ignorant priests. There are more than 10,000 priests in the city of Bangkok, and we meet them everywhere as we go through the city. They wear their heads shaved and have strips of yellow cloth wound about their half-naked bodies. They are far from humble and strut along smoking cigars and chewing the beetle as they walk from door to door begging for rice. We spend several days in visiting the temples. They are gorgeous beyond description, and some cover acres, having gold-plated spires taller than the tallest of palm trees. The temple in which the king worships has a spire that cost $100,000 to gild, and its doors are of ebony inlaid with mother-of-pearl. Its chief room has a carpet of silver wires woven together. This temple contains an idol a foot high and eight inches wide, which is all pure gold and jewels. When the metal was still liquid in the melting pot, sapphires, rubies, and diamonds were stirred into it, and the mixture was cast into this little god. It is before it that the king comes to pray, and there the ladies of his palace bow down at certain times of the year. The idol is on a pedestal, or shelf high above the floor of the temple. It has a little silk scarf about its neck, and this is changed every season. End of chapter 26